Good afternoon, and welcome to Uncle Paul's Jazz Closet. This is your host, Cindy McGurl, bringing you the music of jazz drummer Paul Modian, music he created, music he inspired, and music he was inspired by. And I want to thank my sponsors here at WRFR for the show, the Dowling Walsh Gallery and Curator in Rockland and Rockport Automotive. Um, and so today's show is a special interview show with bassist Eddie Schuler, um, who played in Paul Modian's Quintet um, all through the early 1980s and also played with Paul on other gigs and groups um, over pretty much his whole career. Um, he lives in New York, and I'm going to be calling him up after I play the first song and. He's been doing some writing um, about Jim Pepper, who is um, a wonderful saxophonist who died way too young. Um, You might know him from his um, combined Native American music with rock and jazz. Um, And he played in um, the quintet with Paul's band with Eddie. And um, Eddie's going to, he is writing some stories about three albums that they recorded together. The story of Mariam, the Jack of Clubs, and Mysterioso. And um, so I'm going to start off the show with a cut from the story of Mariam, which is the first album this um, particular quintet um, played and this is going to be Five Miles to Rentham. Um, and it was recorded in 1983. And I'm going to give Eddie a call and get all that technical stuff going. And um, then we'll be back with some stories. So stay tuned for what I think is going to be a really interesting show.
Okay, um, so I have Eddie Schuler on the line. Eddie, you want to just uh, say hello so we can make sure I get all the knobs in the right place? <laughs> hello, Cindy. Hello, everybody. <laughs> okay, yeah. All, all our all the Paul Motion fans, and uh, yeah, great to be here. Yeah, um, yeah, it's great to have you on the show. Um, so we just heard. Five Miles to Rent Them from the story of Mariam. Um, and that is with Paul Modian on drums, Bill Frizzell on guitar, Joe Lovano on tenor saxophone, and Jim Pepper on, is he on tenor or soprano on that one? Eddie, do you know? Do you remember? <laughs> uh, I believe that, that's, uh, boy, that's a good question. A tenor too, yeah. maybe? It's, hard. It's, Some, it's yeah. hard for me to tell. I'm not the musically knowledgeable but and Eddie Schuler on bass so um, yeah so that recording was in see I wrote it down was in um, July of 1983 83, yes. yeah and um, and on the show before I've um, I've played some different um, rehearsals and some live gigs and I have the one that was the first gig that you did with Jim Pepper was at um, Hasty Pudding in um, Boston, I believe, and that was um, in June of 1983, and 
I think he, you know, I don't even know if you guys had any rehearsals with him before that, maybe. Oh, oh, we, we did. You I did? Mean, yeah. We, 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 we had started playing already. You know, the whole idea was kind of a, it was very loose in those days. But, we, you know, uh, Paul asked me, you know, because I've been playing with him with some other groups, and he asked me if, uh, if I would come up to his house and just play. And, you know, we that's how it started. And, you know, so... It was kind of like you call it an audition, but it no formality. We just played and some of his stuff and some things that he was interested in. And then next thing I know, you know, I was in the band. So uh, I've, apparently he wanted uh, Mark Johnson to play bass, but uh, Mark Johnson, who played with Bill Evans, if anyone wants to know, uh, but he got the job with Stan Getz. And so that opened it up for me as being a young guy and so that's how it worked out and yeah uh-huh. yeah we started, he started booking gigs and we went right into playing but we were playing a lot rehearsing you know it wasn't just going and hitting you know um so you you've been writing some stories about Jim Pepper specifically and um around the recordings times of these three albums and um you said you have an introduction that you could read on the air to sort of give some background for people. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can do that if you want me to do. You want me to do that now? Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Let me uh, get my uh, reading vibes here together. All right. All right. Here we go. Uh, my working title for this was Pepper, Modine, Lovano, and Me, but of course I have to figure out how to get Bill Frizzell in there. So this is, <laughs> this is a working title. Yeah. The title. Anyway, what I did was, the, the point of the, let me explain before, I know it's the intro, but the, the, the real idea of it was the, there were these three records that we did for Solno Records, for Giovanni Bonandrini uh, in Italy, um, where each one had a story attached to it that involved Jim Pepper, which I always found were great stories, and I used to tell them to all people and anyone had listened and everybody loved them. They're great stories, but uh, they're kind of crazy. You know, they're really like, like, wow, a crazy, crazy train kind of stories, you know, a lot of wild stuff. But anyway, so I wrote this intro to these stories, so I'm going to read that right now. Okay. Here we go. Without further ado. All right. So here we go. In the early 1980s, I was fortunate enough to be a member of one of the great jazz ensembles of that time, led by the unique and iconic drummer slash composer Paul Motion. The group was a quintet originally consisting of Joe Lovano on saxophone, Bill Frizzell on guitar, myself on acoustic bass, Paul, of course, on drums, and my main man, another genius, Billy Drews, playing saxophone. We managed to do a couple of tours in Europe, culminating in a beautiful recording for ECM called Psalm. This recording, produced of course by Manfred Eicher and engineered by Martin Wieland in Ludwigsburg, Germany, is actually among the first digital recordings ever made. The machine processor itself was the size of a large refrigerator. <laughs> During this time, I was also touring and recording with Paul Mose and other groups, including a piano trio led by a guy, excuse <coughs> me, <clears throat> living in Paris, named Eric Watson, as well as saxophonist composer Tim Byrne, featuring people like Matt Goldsberry on saxophone, Herb Robertson, Brass, and, and many others. 
it was on some of these other tours where Paul started talking to me about wanting to make a change in the quintet. He felt that Billy Drews was stylistically too close to Joe Lovano and was thinking of replacing him with someone who would act as more of a foil to Lovano's modern and precise way of improvising. I have to admit that I didn't understand what Paul was talking about and thought maybe he was going crazy. After all, he was contemplating letting Billy Drews go because he played too good. That, as it turned out, is what ended up happening, despite all attempts to persuade him otherwise. Yeah, I think a lot of people wonder about that, you know? Like, because, yeah, because yeah, Billy Drews is such a great player. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is a strange thing. Anyway, in terms of the style of music the quintet played, uh, wait a minute, oh wait, I skipped the page, I'm sorry. My, my, mistake. okay, okay, uh, right, I made a mistake here, I went two pages, okay, right, here we go. Enter Native American saxophonist Jim Pepper, who had recently moved to New York from Alaska, where he had been a commercial salmon fisherman, if you can believe that. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't know yeah, that. right, yeah, really, for four years, I mean, like, out and, you know, people died and stuff very heavy stuff. Even before he was recruited into the motion quintet, I had already met and played with him in his own groups, even recording one song with him on his landmark recording, Coming and Going. Pepper's main claim to fame was that he had found a way to fuse the songs and melodies of his native culture, Creek and Caw people, to the idioms of jazz, world music, funk, and reggae. He also possessed one of the most soulful and powerful saxophone tones of anyone around. Legend has it that Jim and Mike Brecker used to practice together back in the day. And if Paul Motion wanted someone who played completely different from than Lovano, then that is what he got. To characterize these divergent styles, one could start by saying that Pepper was definitely more of a wild chapatula, both musically and in his lifestyle choices. This is not to say that Joe was some sort of wilting flower. Far from it. But Mr. Lovano's approach to music was certainly more refined and coming from an extensive knowledge of jazz history, repertoire, and technical skill. They also each possessed beautifully but totally different tones on their respective horns, leaving no confusion as to who was playing what. As we started hitting as a band, I began to understand what Motion's content was about and a very unique ensemble dynamic and sound began to develop. In addition, the two saxophonists seemed to foster increasing respect for each other as it became apparent that they were both being influenced by the other in a variety of musical and extra-musical ways. In terms of the style of music that the quintet played, I would call it structured freedom. Most of the repertoire consisted of original tunes composed by Paul, sometimes with Frizzell's help, as well as some original, I mean, I'm sorry, as well as some occasional Monk or Bill Evans stuff. Often we would play through the compositions, playing over the changes in forms without setting up any obvious groups, patterns, or pulse. To know where you are in the form required intuition, sensitive ears, and quick reflexes. We also played delicate ballads, crazy punk rock stuff, and epic tone poems spurred on by Bill Frizzell's haunting electric guitar effects and Paul's one-of-a-kind approach to the drums. In the following are three tales corresponding to the three recording dates the Paul Motion Quintet did for Solno in Milan, Italy. Story of Mariam, 1983, 
Jack of Clubs, 1984, and Mysterioso, 1986. These recordings were all produced by Giovanni Bonandrini in the same studio, Beragozzi Studio, with the same engineer, Giancarlo Beragozzi. However, each date has what we now call a pepper story associated with it. There are, of course, hundreds of pretty incredible pepper stories because Jim Pepper was a colorful, charismatic, funny-as-hell, crazy son of a bitch. His native name was Hunga Chieta, or Flying Eagle, which sounds good, but he told me many times how afraid of heights he was. He would say, man, I can't go up there. I'm a jumper. <laughs> the one thing I would say about Jim Pepper is that he was a genius at screwing up and succeeding at the same time. How that worked, I cannot tell you. But after Pepper passed, I found myself in situations where I would say to myself, I wonder what Pepper would do now. <laughs> All I know for sure is that my main man, Pepper, was a paradoxical dichotomy of contradiction and the living embodiment of the saying, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Wow. That's it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, great introduction. Hey, you're, you're a good writer. I'm, I'm oh, impressed. Yeah. Um, so, do you want to, um, should we play something from Story of Mariam that you think um, really shows? Yeah, yeah let's, let's do that. Uh, let's see. Uh, want me to read you the titles? Well, okay. I know the I got it, I got it, yeah. I got it here. Um, yeah. Let's see, they're all great. Uh, let's do uh, The Owl of Cranston. Okay. Um, I guess Cranston is uh, in Rhode Island, where... Yeah. Paul grew up, I believe. Well, Paul grew up in Providence, but um, yeah, Cranston is actually where I grew up. So, oh, there you go. Um, yeah, and he used to visit regularly. Like, like when you guys played in Boston, he would often, you know, stay with us before or after he was up there playing. He would come visit, and right. um, yeah, so he that's uh, yeah, and my mother still lives in that same house, and that's his sister. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I didn't, well, see, now I, I learned something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great, okay. Yeah. Okay, so here's um, Owl of Cranston. Yep.
Okay, that was The Owl of Cranston from 1983, recording the story of Mariam with a Palmodian quintet. And we're on the phone with Eddie Schuler, um, who has written some stories about these recordings and specifically about um, Jim Pepper. So um, do you say you have a story about the Mariam recording yeah. you want to read? Yeah. I can read the one right now about the record you just heard, Story of Mariam, um, and uh, it's not it's not too long, and, it, and it's also it's not as uh, involved as some of the other ones that I wrote, because there's three stories, of course, and this is the first one, so I'll just go ahead and read it. Okay. See what you think. So here we go. Uh, it's called Part One, The Story of Mariam, a.k.a. No Teeth. <laughs> so, no Teeth? Huh? You said No Teeth? No teeth. Okay. Yes. Okay. In the summer of 1983, the Paul Motian Quintet was, was on tour in West Germany, France, and Italy. And on July 27, 28, the band recorded the first of three records at Giancarlo Baragozzi Studio in Milan, Italy, called The Story of Mariam. I have to admit that my memory of this particular tune, oh, sorry. Let me do that again. I have to admit that my memory of this particular two tour is a little fuzzy. After all, it was approximately 36 years ago, and things could get pretty wild in those days. For many of my peers and colleagues, the phrase sex, drugs, and jazz would have been apropos to what was happening in varying degrees. And one of the all-time masters of that hang was none other than Jim Pepper himself. Keeping up with Mr. Flying Eagle was a challenge, to say the least, and be, by default, it became my official role to at least try. Jim and I became fast buddies, along with Joe. Sometimes we partake of the wild side of what life on the road had to offer. Most of the time, it was a lot of fun, and as long as it didn't affect the music, everything was cool. However... I have to admit that sometimes, inevitably, things went a little too far. So we eventually adopted a demerit system for keeping track of who was screwing up the most, and Pep and I made that list on more than one occasion. As it turns out, before the tour even started, Jim had, was having some pretty serious issues with his teeth, which for a saxophone player is definitely not a good thing. The way I understood it, his dentist had decided that uh, wait a minute. His dentist had decided that, that he would need to get permanent dental implants. So in the meantime, he was given a removable temporary dental bridge so he could at least be able to make the tour. If my memory serves me correctly, right before the recording dates, somehow Pepper managed to lose his temporary clackers in a hotel room or something. And that was no laughing matter. But on a more serious, oh wait, no laughing matter, there's a little uh, sub thing. The only thing slightly funny about the whole thing was the way it affected Jim's pronunciation of certain words. For example, when he tried to say the word beautiful, it would come out as beautiful. Obviously, you're having trouble with the T sound. <laughs> but on a more serious note, it is a fact that one cannot play the saxophone properly with compromised or non-existent teeth. And here we were supposed to record a record. Paul was none too happy about the whole situation. I think he attempted to fire Pep right on the spot. It would not be the first time. Oh, no, it would be not be the last time. 
either one. <laughs> Meanwhile, the producer, Giovanni Bonadrini, heard about the situation and hooked Pepper up with an Italian dentist he knew in Milan, and in the end, Jim was able to play on the recording, which, in spite of everything, came out great. Here we have an example of my man Pep completely screwing up and somehow, against all odds, managing to successfully pull up what previously appeared to be, for all intents and purposes, a total fiasco. The way I see it, whenever Jim Pepper's luck would run out, that's when he would get lucky. And this was only the beginning of some pretty wild adventures to come. That's that. Um, I, I printed out the, a page from Paul's band book for the, this recording, and, um, and he wrote in later, he wrote, Great recording, yay, yay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so he was really happy with it. And, um, and he wrote, um, you know, there, this looks like you recorded more than just the songs that ended up on the album. I don't know if oh, you Oh, yeah. Yeah. Probably, but I don't know what happened to those. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened to them either. Um, but, yeah, a couple of the songs that didn't make the album. I once that Paul ended up never recording on the album. Uh, Tales of the Unexpected, Olivio, right. Zimbabwe, and uh, Prairie Avenue, Cowboy. And, uh, yeah. Well, I, I don't know. He, I, I, I'm not, I don't know everything he, I'm, I, I can imagine that he recorded those on some other things, you know, like with the trio. With well, he, and Bill. I have some rehearsal tapes, but no, those songs I don't have. He never recorded them never, yeah, okay. on an yeah. official uh, album. I, I, I remember Tales of the Unexpected. I really do remember that one, and it was a great tune. I don't know. Yeah. You know, yeah. we would record. You know, we, we have to remember for us really old people that LPs, you know, you can only get at the most uh, 45 minutes on a LP, you know. Yeah, so, so that... Like, not like a CD where you get you can get 100 and, you know, I mean, you can, yeah, it's like uh, 75 minutes or something on, on a CD. Uh, this was, um, and now, it, now there's a new, all new technology that you can do whatever. You can go as long as you want. But this is... Um, but that, you know, that was the thing. So you'd make these things, you know, you you had to fit it on. You know, 45 minutes, that was it. You know, each side, you know. Was, uh, yeah, you had to be less, more. Less than 20, you know, 20 minutes, 20, 22 minutes or something. That was the most you could do. Uh, yeah. You know. So you had to cut. You had to be more of an editor. Yeah. 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 And, then, you know, and there was a producer, Bonandrini, probably had his you know, ideas. I mean, I know that we, on the record we did for ECM, Psalm, uh -huh. that we recorded a lot of songs, and a couple of the songs, you know, uh, Manfred, you know, he would say things like, Paul, I don't, like, that song is not so interesting. Let's move on. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this stuff happens. You know, so what are you going to do? Yeah. But, uh, uh, but, you know, these are controlled environments people are putting the money out they they produce it you know so that's what it is but yeah i wonder what, who i wonder what the be if it's, you reminded me that there's probably some great you know uh outtakes or, or takes of things that you know who knows where that stuff is <laughs> yeah probably well, probably ecm has <laughs> theirs and uh 
Soul Note has theirs. Yeah. Um, so should we play? Um, should we play another cut from Mariam, or should we move on? What do you think? Why don't we go to the next? The next record was Jack of Clubs. Yeah. Okay. And um, and that was. Um, let's see. What should we play here? Yeah. Actually, we can just. I love the title song, but it's really uh, very crazy out out stuff. And Bill Frizzell is playing amazing. I mean, I just want to speak on Bill Frizzell just for a second because I I don't mention him so much in these stories because he's you know he was a very quiet calm guy and uh didn't wasn't like that adventurous as far as you know like you know what i'm talking about yeah um but uh but he was but his he invented things on guitar that they're still trying to figure out i mean he was the one of the pioneers of this amazing electronic things and that he did and looping and sounds and 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 it was like i remember the mood he would set up was so so overwhelming we just like you know and this wasn't and then everything you know that these were these great sounds you know we had this kind of starting with rock and roll and wawa pedals and all that kind of stuff but he took it to such another level and uh and then music got real stupid because everybody went to the synthesizers and you know trying to copy real instruments. But Bill's thing was never like that. It was about a very amazing, you know, uh, catalog of sounds and 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 things that were just, like, he invented that stuff. People try to play like that now, you know. Yeah. But uh, he, he was, like, the pioneer of that music. So this this particular tune, I guess we're going to play Jack of Clubs, the title song. Um features that yeah. idea. So this is um, from the album of the same name. Um, and recorded in March of 1984 with uh, Joe Lovano and Jim Pepper on saxophones, Bill Frizzell, electric guitar, Eddie Schuler on bass, and Paul Modian on drums. Okay.
I hung up on Eddie. So um, that was the Jack of Clubs. And I'm going to put on another song from this recording um, and call him back. I don't know why I, this keeps happening. It's
Okay, that was um, Tanner Street, which is uh, the name of the street that Paul grew up on in Providence, uh, Rhode Island. Um, and Eddie, you said you um, that was a song that Manfred didn't like for some. You want to? Yeah, tell? well, when, for the ECM recording, which we did, you know, way before that, uh, you know, we did record. We attempted to record it, and Manfred, I remember, just remember him going. Paul, I don't think that song is so interesting. Let's move on. He <laughs> <laughs> didn't like it, I guess. But uh, we, all, we recorded it anyway. It's, it's, I love that song. It's a beautiful song. So do you think with Soul Note that um, that Paul had more sort of say in what you recorded? Uh, I, I, or? I, yeah, I, yeah. I would say so. But, uh, yeah. but you know, Paul had a, a total... You know, he did so many things for ECM too, and oh yeah, he had a so, great. But they, yeah. they had a great rapport too. Yeah, but Manfred was a kind of controlling. He's a real producer, and he, he, you know, some people really, he didn't, they didn't get along. You know, he's a little bit controlling. He, he wanted his way or the highway. You know, you got to do it. So he, but uh, Paul, you know, managed to negotiate most things with Manfred. But, you know, once in a while Manfred would say, hey, that, you know, let's do something else. I want to, you know. Yeah. You know, he had his concept of what thing was, so, you know. Yeah, he definitely has a certain sound with ECM that really, exactly. you know, exactly. goes across all the music that they produced right. and produced. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're going to, um, we're going to talk a little bit maybe about the, on the back of the Jack of Clubs, oh, there's, right. there's some photos, photo booth photos yeah. of the band. Right, right. Yeah, yeah there was, you know, uh, had these photo booths, you know, at train stations and stuff. And so one, one flight we were going somewhere, you know, getting on the train and, uh, it's, uh you know, very early in the morning, like eight o'clock or something, we just, you know, whatever, we're all like completely bleary eyed and. And, he, and Paul said, goes, okay, we're going to take photos now. You know, I'm like, what? What are you, nuts? And uh, so we did, we, you know, we all took the, you know, go in these booths and take these photos. I had no idea why he was doing that, but, you know, whatever. And we all looked pretty bad, especially me. And uh, I think, yeah, I, mean, I think I'm the worst. But um, <laughs> but uh, they, we, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. But anyway, we took these photos, and, you know, I didn't know what he wanted them for. I thought he was just a joke or something. And he ended up, uh, that was like, this idea, Let's, that'll be the pictures on the on the record, you know. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, I mean, actually, it's a brilliant idea, I have to say. Uh, but it's kind of funny, you know, it's like, it was not, you know, he didn't, like, say, oh, why don't you guys, uh, you know, comb your hair or do something, you know, nothing like <laughs> trying to look good or anything. It was had to be the worst time to take a, any picture of any of us. <laughs> probably had like one hour sleep and, you know, we're completely out of it. So that was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody has dark glasses in at least one photo, but you don't. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't. I said, yeah, I didn't. Well, see, I wasn't ready. I, I would have. See, Paul, he looks great. He, he was ready. <laughs> got his glasses. He's got, looks, he looks like a, yeah. So wait, you're, pretty, you're pretty young, right? Like, how old are you when you recorded this? Uh, let's see. Well, let's see. All uh, right, let's do the math. Uh, right, I, I would have, let's... Um, well, it's 1984. Morning, uh, 84, 84. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I would have been... Um, 
uh, yeah, the, almost not quite 30. Yeah. Yeah, so you, right. were, you were still in your 20s when the, right. um, when the yeah. band got together. Yeah. And Bill, I think, was Bill also? Is he about your age? Or is he a little older? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I think we were about the same age. He might, be, like, yeah. he might be a, a little older. Yeah. I know yeah. Joe is older than me. Yeah, and, Joe's a little older. And Pepper older. is definitely older than me. So, yeah. Um, I was like the youngest guy in the band. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so do you want to tell a story that goes with uh, well, okay. Jacka Club? Yeah, so, right. This one, this is the second record for Bone and Dream. We had another Jim Pepper uh, incident. Um, and this one, I'll try to be very, try to do it fast. Um, when we, uh, before we did the rap, we were on tour. We were touring all over Europe. And we uh, ended up playing in, in a wonderful club that's not there anymore, in Munich, in Munich, Munich, Germany. And, um, and at that particular event, uh, the, the band Oregon showed up, and it was a great night. We played beautiful, and it was really fun, and everybody. Um, but, but And Jim hooked up with a guy named Gunter Klott, a, a saxophone player who I ended up playing, a very fine musician. He's also, he also passed away but uh, at this time. But um, a great saxophone, but he also repaired horns. And, and Jim and him kind of hooked up, and... After, you know, after the gig and everything, and they, you know, Jim, Jim mentioned that his horn was, something was wrong, and, you know, he wanted to fix something. And the guy could fix horns, you know, actually, he was, this guy could fix anything, actually, it turned out. But anyway, we didn't know that. Anyway, they went off, you know, to wherever, and uh, to some, to his house, to this guy Gunter's house or something. And anyway, the next day, we had to go to Budapest. So when we... And so they really hung out and party. So the next morning, I had to wake Jim up in the hotel. He barely made it to the hotel. He, you know, it's a long story. And anyway, we went to the airport and we had, you know, and we flew to Budapest. Now, in those days, Budapest was under the Iron Curtain, and we had to go through the the border control passport and all that. And uh, I had managed to wash my passport before the tour started. I put it in the laundry by accident. But I got through all these countries. Nobody seemed to matter. But when I got to Budapest, they didn't like that. And I was kind of uh, told I could. they finally let me in, but they said I had to get a new passport and a visa and all this stuff. So, and I delayed the band. So I was really, you know, I was like the black sheep of the thing right then. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and Jim would not let me forget it. You, you screwed up. You get to merit. You're, you know, all this stuff. So this is how we did it. Verbal banter, you know. Well, it's like at the end of the army or something, you know, there's no mercy. So, um, but we had some days off and, you know, it was beautiful Budapest. And I was able to take care of all that stuff and went to the embassy. Meanwhile, okay, so finally we get to the concert. We're, we're going to play in this big stadium and uh, opposite this uh, Finnish band, a kind of a fusion band, and, um, you know, from Finland. And the, the thing is, um, you know, we're all trying to set up and everything and um and i i i guess like going to the bathroom or something i i come back out and joe lovano comes up to me and he says eddie you're not the worst with the demerits pepper just he doesn't have the neck to his horn and <laughs> paul just fired him <laughs> i said what this is what happened while i went to the bathroom you know 
so like I'm what is going on and you know so it turned out that Jim had lost his somehow in this thing with this Gunter Klott guy in Munich is somewhere in all that his neck got lost now you have to understand this is not something you can just buy anywhere uh-huh. this is a very this only works for that particular horn and that model you know it's a really you can't play in other words he didn't at that moment he didn't have a tenor did not play there's uh-huh. no way that but by miracle here's where he gets so lucky by uh, some kind of miracle two miracles joe lovano had been earlier on the tour met a guy who had the same kind of it was also his neck and his mouthpiece so you know that's it the, the joe had the same kind of mouthpiece that that, that jim played so he was able to lend him the mouthpiece, but you still need the neck, right? So the neck, turns out this other band, the guy played by some kind of one-in-a-million chance at the same kind of horn as Jim, and he was able to use his neck and get through the gig and not get fired, at least at the moment. But uh, it, it was amazing. So, you know, but now we had to figure out what happened to the neck and everything. So it goes on and on. We ended up going to Munich looking for this Gunter Claude Jim Pepper was convinced that that Gunter stole his neck, which doesn't make any sense. They wouldn't do any, you know, one, no one would do that. Uh-huh. But um, <laughs> it was just one of those crazy stories. And uh, we, uh, in, in the end, uh, Jim, and uh, in the end, he he was able to uh, get everything he needed uh, just by luck. And in the end, he by as after the tour. He was able to go to Paris and get his uh, his horn completely refurbished by uh, Selmer because uh, you know they endorsed him and he got this yeah. all done for free. This is the kind of thing. So he loses his neck, loses his mouthpiece, and in the end gets it even better, gets everything back. You know, yeah. and that's the kind of stuff that happened to him. There's a lot more details in this story, but I just want yeah. to leave that. Um, I just have to go to a top of the hour announcement yeah. um, or and tell sure. people you're listening to um, Community Radio, WRFR Low Power 93.3 FM, Rockland, Maine, and, um, and we'll be back in just a minute. Okay, um, we're back with Uncle Paul's Jazz Closet in the second hour. And we have um, Eddie Schuler on the phone, and we're talking about the recording of the Palmodian Quintet album, The Jack of Clubs, with uh, Joe Lovano and Jim Pepper on saxophones, Bill Frizzell on electric guitar, Eddie Schuler on bass, and um, Palmodian on drums. And um, I brought in uh, Paul's band book for that tour, and yeah, he says... Yeah, Pepper lost or forgot his mouthpiece and neck, and he said in Munich, question mark. And uh, right. but you you tell the story. Paul's so dry, you know, a lot of stuff he doesn't really, you know. <laughs> well, he says no, now. But that's very interesting, though. But it confirms. Yeah, it's what you're how saying. But he you know, says, uh, "Finally, use Lovano's neck and Finnish saxophone player mouthpiece." But who knows right. which one right. is? That's what happened. Yeah. yeah. In other words, he was able to somehow get it together. You know, otherwise he wouldn't have been able to play the rest of the tour or the record. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You can't just go to a music. You couldn't even go to a you know, like say a music store that sells horns and just 
buy a neck like that that would fit that horn because it's very specific. You know, it's a whole. But do you do you usually take it even take it apart? Yeah, you when always you take the neck. Uh, oh, you always take the neck off. The neck and the mouthpiece off when you put it in the in the case. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. but he might have been lazy and just left the mouthpiece on the neck. But he had to take that off. It wouldn't fit in the horn in the case without oh. taking it off. So, yeah. uh, but he that's what he how somehow he mis left it somehow. You know, lost it, dropped it. I don't know. We don't know, and it's a mystery to this day. Yeah. I don't know what happened. Yeah, and then later he says, um, "Ask about mouth mouthpiece for Pepper." When the, a couple of days later, I guess when you're in um, Italy with Bonandrini, right? Or, well, Bonandrini, yeah. yeah. Luckily, we we the next thing we had to do in a way was lucky. We didn't know that then. We were kind of freaked out. But at that time, our next thing was that record date, and Bon, you know, we went to Milan, big city, a lot of musicians, and they were able to hook up a, a neck for him. I mean, a mouthpiece, sorry, uh, for him to, uh, you know, so he was able to make the record. And, and again, it came out great. So in, that, in other words, somehow this very almost disaster occurs, and somehow he comes out, again, smelling like a rose. <laughs> and, you know, and you got into more trouble here, because it says that you missed the train to Munich. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, well, that, <laughs> or, you know, oh the train yeah, from that, Munich. Yeah. yeah, not you know that wasn't really a trouble. It was it you know we had these Eurail passes, so you could just get on any train and go first class to anywhere. And we had some days off, so I, the plan was I was supposed to come a day early, but I still made everything. I didn't. Yeah, that was my screw up was with the passport. That's where. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, I think he he did. Yeah, he Paul does mention that too that you had to get he a new passport. Yeah, because. This took uh, hours of me, you know, being, you know, hassled by these, you know, but it was very Kafka-esque, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know kind of Russian, Eastern European, you know, things. I had to go to the, yeah, it was like a, really like a Kafka book or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Straight, I had to go to the, the Ministry of uh State and stuff. <laughs> get get a new get a new stamp for my passport, or, or else I wouldn't be able to leave the country. I mean, how scary was that? You know. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's kind of scary there again now in Budapest. It's a. Uh, it is. It's, yeah, uh, it's got that with yeah. Victor Orban and the yeah. Yeah. Kind of. And I, I was there since then, and it's a beautiful. Was a beautiful. I mean, it's still a fantastic place, and very, very sad what's happened now because it's was a very liberal, it was one of the first places to always try to break away from, uh, you know, the uh, USSR yeah. uh, control and influence. But, you know, uh, yeah, so uh, with, uh, don't get us started with politics. All right, yeah, we go, we'll stay away from Let's that. that. We'll, <laughs> we'll never get out of it. <laughs> um, yeah, I have the notes here from, yeah, from the Jacka Club's recording, too, um, and... And Paul writes that Tony Scott here was. Did you remember? Oh, did yeah. you know him? Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, oh, well, this is a whole another amazing story uh, because because when we finished the record, we had some days off before we were going to our next things, and uh, Tony Scott showed up at our at our record date, and then he uh, invited us all for dinner and 
and we went to this crazy Italian family for dinner and had all this amazing food. And then, uh-huh. and then Tony said, "I am doing this recording. Uh, would you guys like to be on my recording?" You know, we had the days off, sure. You know, and it turns out the recording was he just wanted to do different versions of the song "Lush Life." Uh-huh. Um, so Jim Pepper was not involved with this because uh, Jim had already, but because Jim, yeah, this is getting crazy. You're getting me into stuff that's too long to tell. No, but you can it, talk. In the end, we <laughs> ended up recording. Me, Joe, and Bill Frizzell recorded also with uh, with Tony Scott doing this record, which he called Lush. Lush Life was his song. He loved the song to like more than anything could be loved, you know? And yeah. he, he did different versions. The whole record is one song, different versions of that song. And it was really crazy. But we did that, and, you know, it, 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 I, I know. It's one of the great stories, but this would take the whole rest of the, um, the, <laughs> the show. <here. laughs> but it, it was amazing. So, yeah, Tony Scott was there. Tony Scott showed up to a lot of our things with Paul. Oh, he did? And he, all, yeah. all over the world, no matter where you went, he would show up. There you know, he was. Italy, <laughs> Germany, New York, you know, uh, yeah, it was crazy. He was a, he's kind of a nomad, that guy, you know, and, and they knew each other. You know, Paul and him were, you know, back in the 50s, they were all doing stuff. You know, yeah, with, you know. uh, with um, yeah, Tony claimed he discovered both Bill Evans and uh, Keith Jarrett. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's what yeah, he was a character himself, uh, quite the, um, quite an interesting fellow there. <laughs> yeah, Paul wrote, uh, you, you, kiss, you can't say no to Tony Scott. Like, yeah. <laughs> but he seemed like he made, he made stuff happen, you know? Like, he, he made did. gigs happen and um, oh, got, yeah. you know, got all the right people together to play. And, uh, yeah, I, I think he sounds pretty neat. But some people kind no, of, you know. he was an amazing player. Yeah. A great, uh, great musician. I mean, he was. He's an amazing guy, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was just sort of a off-the-cuff recording that you hadn't planned yeah, or was, anything. Yeah, it was totally impromptu. Like, we... Yeah. But, you know, we had the days off, and, and he paid us. I mean, you know, I don't run much, but he paid us the lira, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was fun to do. You know, it was something to do and uh, make some extra money, you know. Why not? And... But Paul didn't want anything to do with it, and and Jim ended up kind of uh, he took he kind of stole Tony Scott's girlfriend. So Jim Pepper did. Part I didn't <laughs> yeah, you can and tell so, us. So, so Tony Scott and Jim Pepper would never become good friends. You can count. <laughs> that was not After a that, pleasant. that was not. This was uh, this was like. Not a match made in heaven there. They're, that Those two guys were, you know, it wasn't really Jim's fault, to tell you the truth. The, 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 the lady, she wanted to hang out with Jim. So that's how <laughs> you know, it uh, happened, you know? <laughs> I can't remember. I <laughs> well, Paul did, Paul did that on tour somewhere and, um, yeah, took some another musician's girlfriend away. And then yeah, and they yeah. felt kind of bad about it, but then... Later on, he he wrote in his book that he ran into the other guy, and he's like, "I'm glad you took her off my hands." <laughs> Somehow it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, what should we play next? So we still well, have uh, to, um, we still have 50 minutes, you know. So we're okay. We're doing good oh, on we time. We can do uh, another 
Let's do another. You want to? I mean, do one you want to do another from the uh, Jack of Clubs? Yeah, sure. Let's do a ballad because we. Uh, let's see where's. Um, I have the C. Oh yeah, you know what's a great song? The next song, Cathedral song. Cathedral that song. Is really beautiful. Okay. Yeah, it's one of my favorites of all time. Yeah. Okay, Paul. Okay, so this is uh, another Palmodian composition from Jack of Clubs, Cathedral Song.
Okay, um, 
And that was um, Cathedral Song from the Jack of Clubs. And um, here on Uncle Paul's Jazz Closet, we're talking to bassist Eddie Schuler, who's been writing some stories about Jim Pepper. And, um, and he recorded three albums with the Palmodian Quintet with um, Eddie and, and Jim and also Joe Lovano and Bill Frizzell. Um, so you say that Cathedral Song is one of your favorite ballads, Eddie? Oh, yeah. Well, I, really, I just, yeah, it's a be- just beautiful, you know, and it, uh, it it really, that's one of those songs where you really hear his uh, connection to his Har- Armenian heritage. You know, it's, a, it's very, got this, I don't know, some kind of, it's like, it's a cathedral, it's about, like church, you know. Yeah. Got something very, I don't know, just, I I find it very moving and very, very poignant. Yeah, and and Paul does write in his autobiography about, um, like, the first music he was exposed to was in a church, you know, was church music. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. um, So we have um, one more story that you're going to talk about, um, right. and is um, and sort of the most dramatic, I think the most dramatic one, don't you? <laughs> yeah. It pretty much is. Yeah, they get they get more crazy as time goes <laughs> on. But yeah, and that would be the um, that would be the Mysterioso record. Yeah, cool. and and that was a little bit. It was a fair amount later, like a. Yeah, we uh, well. Paul started to, well, we did tours in between. This was 1986 now. But uh, he also did his first tour with the the trio, which was just Paul, uh, Joe, and Bill Frizzell. Uh And uh, so he started doing that. And then, but this was our last quintet record and last actual kind of, it wasn't really, we called it the vacation tour. It wasn't really, but yeah, it was our last, thing that we really did as a quintet. You didn't so, play uh, that many gigs, you mean, on the, when you well, went over? Well, after that, that was, I, he just did the trio, uh-huh. uh, you know, and, and I mean, I played other things. We did a lot of things, but that particular band, kind of, that was kind of it for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so do you want to, um, do you want to tell the story now, or do you want to play for music first? What do you think we could? Well, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I could tell. Might as well. Tell, I'll tell the story. I guess, uh, which is, so we. Um, what happened was we flew in, flew to uh, Italy, uh, you know, to do this kind of tour. It was a very weird tour because it wasn't that many gigs, and then we were going to record. But we flew to uh, Rome and then Sardinia. And Sardinia is an unbelievably amazing place, uh, a huge island off the coast of uh, Italy, uh, to Corsica and, and Sardinia. Anyway, we were we kind of you know fl- you know flying and you get jet lag and we got to Sardinia and it's, the main place in, in Sardinia is called Cagliari. And from Cagliari, we were driven to a little tiny town called Port de Pino, which is uh, up the coast 
Um, and uh, incredible. I mean, it's amazing, beautiful places and wonderful. Um, and so, but the thing was, uh, Jim was uh, was already been gone pretty well. I guess he was kind of, I hate to say it, but I think he was kind of jonesing. He didn't have what he needed to keep cool, and he was kind of going crazy. And so he drank a lot. And so the whole plane ride, the whole thing, and, he, you know, the whole thing. We, we took, when we finally were driven to this town, Fort Dipino, we were all really tired. We all wanted to take a nap because we were going to have dinner later. And uh, I remember um, J- Jim just sort of said, ah, I'll see you guys later. And, uh, you know, he made some friends and found a bar and, you know, did the whole thing. Anyway, I don't know what happened then. But after, after, anyways, we were then taken to, uh, this was a festival where we were going to play. And there was a lot of other people there, like Bobby Moses was there, uh, uh, my friend Jerome Harris, great guitar player and bass player. Um you know, a bunch of different musicians that were going to play. And Hermeto Pascual, the amazing Brazilian uh, genius with his band. And, uh, you know, so we were taken to a school, a kind of high school or something, where we were going to have dinner. And they had provided food for all the crew and everybody, for all the musicians. And, uh, I don't know, we all went there, and we didn't know where Jim was. But Jim showed up. And the uh, first thing we noticed when Jim showed up, I mean, you know, he could hold his liquor, but he was really out there. So he shows up, and the first thing he does is spill red wine overall, over Paul Motion. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this is like the leader of the band. This is not what you do. You know, we, you know on, we haven't even played a gig yet. We haven't done anything. We haven't played a note. We haven't even looked at our instruments. And he's already doing stuff. So Paul is already, like, Get that guy away from me. I don't want to see. So he, Paul, I mean, sorry. Jim goes over and sits with somebody else. He finds this Italian guy to talk to. And they start hanging out, and they start, you know, uh, talking trash and uh, screwing around. And, and they start talking about basketball. And then, you know, like Jim claims he's really a great basketball player, basketball player. Actually, he was a great guy. When he was young, he was in all all American, one of his all state, you know, conferences. He was like one of the great basketball players when he was like in his teens in high school. Yeah. And, uh, so he, uh, you know, in high school, and and so he, um, you know, they can, they were just talking nonsense mostly. And um, so anyway, we finished our dinner. We're all going to go out and we're going to go check out the festival because Hermeto's playing. So we uh, go out in the courtyard there, and uh, that Italian guy sees a basketball court and some kids playing, and he says, Hey, Jim, uh, you, you, let me see what you got. You say you're so good at basketball. Let me see. Let me. So he gets the basketball, and he hands it to Jim, and Jim goes for a shot, and not only is it an air ball, like way, he doesn't even go near the backboard or anything, but he falls over backwards. On you know, and it's hard cement, and uh, he falls, and, and it's like, and it's like we're all laughing so hard because it's so hilarious. You know, it's like what is this ridiculous? I mean, me, me, and Joe Lovano. I remember we were on the ground laughing because we were just couldn't believe it. You know, this was the funniest thing we'd ever seen. And of course, uh, Jim wasn't <laughs> he was in his finest moment, but uh, it turned out to. It wasn't just funny. It turned out to be kind of a bad thing. Um, 
to make a long story short, uh, we went to the festival and everything. Um, the next day, we were staying privately with a with a guy named Bruno. And uh, the next morning, Jim woke up and realized that he had done something bad to his wrist. He'd broken his wrist. But he played, he played that night with a broken wrist, you mean? No, he didn't play. Well, he uh-huh. did play, but he sat. He tried to sit in, but he was so... He didn't know it yet. Uh-huh. He, until the next morning, he then he realized something was wrong. And the first thing... This is a funny part. So this guy, Bruno, you know, Italian guy, he goes... He goes Jimmy, what's happening? You're, you, you, I, he says, something's wrong with my wrist. And he goes, oh, don't worry, Jimmy. My mama, she fixed. So he takes Jim over to, to Mama's house, which is right next door and stuff. And then Mama is like this traditional black. She's in mourning for her husband who died 30 years ago. <laughs> you know, it, 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 these are the way they do it, you know. So, so Mama takes Jim's wrist. And does something. If it wasn't broken before, it was definitely broken now. The scream of pain you could hear through the whole town. And um, so from that moment on, Jim was off to the hospital. Oh, she uh, made it worse? <laughs> yeah, definitely. She grabbed it and turned it or did something. Ouch. I mean, yeah, so... Uh, so they take Jim to the hospital, and Paul is completely free. Again, we haven't played a note. We haven't done anything. And, I mean, it's completely insane. Like, the guy's, like, what is going on? So he's, he's, Jim, I mean, Paul, you might have noticed this in your notes there, that uh, Paul was so angry that he wanted to fly him back. He didn't care how much it cost. He wanted him out of his sight. I mean, he was ranting and raving. I've never, I've seen Paul mad a few times, but that was one of the, yeah, it was a sight to behold. You yeah. know, he didn't want to hear that. Um, anyway, but Jim comes back with a cast on and somehow convinces Paul that he can still play. And I don't know how he, that's how Jim was. He was charismatic. He could convince you of anything. And he did. And, and you know, yeah, I didn't think it was possible because, anyway, no one thought he could even play. How can you play with a cast on? on his right hand, you know, I mean, it's crazy, you know, but he did, I mean, well, but I'm getting ahead of myself, he managed to convince Paul that he would do it, so, and we had a, two days later, we had a gig, our first gig, and Jim had done all kinds of stuff, like make a little strap to hold his cast up, and he figured out how to play, and he actually played the gig, but he, you know, he didn't have all his fast chops and playing, you know, the things he could normally do in his sleep, uh, he couldn't do. He had to really play very melodic and slow, you know. So he had to struggle to play, actually. And anyway, we played, as the tour went, we played a few concerts. We played in Colliery, we played uh, Miles Davis, played in the festival, or Methyl. It was a great thing. It was a beautiful thing. And then we had these days off in this wonderful, idyllic place with beaches and everything. And, uh, Jim slowly had, he had a guy, our driver, would saw off part of his cast, and Jim would practice learning different fingerings and stuff. So he actually learned how to play with his broken hand. Incredible. So we called him Chief Broken Wing. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that's the song, Johnny Broken Wing. Yeah. yeah, Johnny was the guy who cut the cast off. Oh, that's, that's why he so named it, yeah. I mean, that, this, is, this is actually Paul's 
melody, I think. But uh, yeah, so so by the time we got to the record date, you know, Jim could play. And what was so beautiful about it was that he not only played, he played beautiful, but in a way different than what he played before when he had, a, you know, when, his, when he wasn't with a broken wrist. Uh, he he would could play, you know, he'd play these things. Everyone has licks that can play. He couldn't play any of that stuff. He had to play everything really, you know, a whole new thing, very melodic. And that record turns out, it's, it's actually my favorite. Uh-huh. Really beautiful. And very melodic, and Jim plays amazing. He just, he doesn't, he can't play certain things, like certain runs. He just couldn't do it. But uh, he played great. And a funny part about that record is we, maybe we'll play that tune, but Dance, we did this tune, Dance, and when we were listening to the playbacks, doing the mixing, you know, uh, you know, you have the different tracks, and we soloed Jim's track of playing this melody, and this tune is kind of a fast line. It's a you know, it's like that. And you, you can hear Jim, he's not making any of it. He can barely, he's just a little dot, dot, you know, he's just playing like sort of like one, one-eighth of the notes. <laughs> but it sounds great because Joe is, of course, playing it, you know, perfect. Yeah. And uh, so you don't hear that on the recording, but it's really, it was really funny, you know, in a way, you know. But uh, that's amazing. So again, Jim, we hear he... All these stories are about the guy who's. I mean, I don't know how many times Paul attempted to fire him, <laughs> and uh, but it never really happened. And Jim always came out in the end, really playing incredibly beautiful. And I don't know. I have some of the notes that you have that of Paul's notes of the road. Yeah. Um, and at one point he says he wants to fire me. He says I. I he's a, He's an alcoholic. He's completely messed. And but then he says, but I love him. Yeah, he wrote. He wrote. Uh, wrong, he wrote. Uh, Do not keep him in the band for tours anymore. Right. Wrong. Right. Then he wrote later. He wrote wrong again. I really love him and his playing good. And he's playing yeah. good. And yeah, um, See? yeah and he wrote up here. Uh, Pepper broke one or more small fractures on his right wrist, and his whole lower arm yeah. is in a cast. He's still able right. to move his fingers. Doctor says he should not play saxophone, but he claims he can. There you have it. Maybe we do a right, quartet right. recording for Soul Note, and uh, but then he also, but also Paul started uh, smoking again. <laughs> I guess he had quit. That's true. He I, said started yeah, smoking funny, again right. around July four. Ugh, smoking. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Stressed him out, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's. Um, I know. It was. Um, that was something. Uh, yeah. So that you know that's kind of what happened so each of these record dates has a name you know first one was uh, no tea and we called the second one munich because he <laughs> lost it in munich so we call it munich yeah and then uh, the last one was uh you know uh broken wing you know cheap broken wing. yeah so um and you know every re- every one of these things, and that that doesn't even include some of the other story where we didn't record, and uh, we'll, you know on the road we did a lot of tours in those days. So yeah, all around a lot Europe. Of adventures. Yeah, yeah, all over. Europe. Yeah, and uh, you know, and also we played a lot, and we played in the states, but not really touring 
mostly in New York and Boston. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah. Um, why don't we save uh, dance for the, let's save that for the last tune, because I like to have sure. like a, a longer tune at the end, so yeah, I, I can uh, yeah. clean up in here for the next show. Um, but we have time, we've st- yeah, we've st- we have time for another short song and, and a little more talking. Um, do, you well, wanna, let me see. do you want to pick something else out from Mysterioso? Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking. It's, what I have here uh, is a CD, uh, which this was, was originally an LP, and so every, all the writing on the seat on this is like from an LP, except it's much smaller. Uh-huh. It's very hard to read. <laughs> very small. <laughs> so let me see what I can find here. Oh, you know what's a good one? I tell you. Um, oh, they're all good. I, I don't know what. <laughs> I mean, so. If you want, uh, there's, there's a short one called Abacus. It's not too long. Three Abacus, minutes and 30 okay. Minutes. Yeah, play that. That's yeah. Nice. Okay, so this is Abacus, and uh, stay tuned, and we'll be back with Eddie Schuler um, one more time here in Uncle Paul's Jazz Closet.
Okay, that was um, Abacus. Had Jim Pepper there yeah. playing with a broken wrist with a cast on it. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Right. <laughs> um, and I, um, I posted a picture on the... Uh, on the blog about with Jim sort of waving with it, uh, standing and sitting in front of this white wall. But then, um, I also sent you a picture of, uh, Johnny, the driver cutting Jim's cast. There's a couple of pictures of that, that, uh, that Paul took and uh, I'll, I'll put those up on the, on the blog. And, uh, so, um, so you're thinking, um, so you've published some of your writing, you said on with Cadence magazine that's an online magazine right. it's, it's it's actually print too but it's the online comes out first it's, it's a kind of three months every three months uh like so this at this point we're in the january february march issue and i have two stories in there one about charles mingus and one about a kind of a a new year's incident with uh, some racist stuff from Boston area that anyway I write, I write the, I'm trying to write stories about the, the, you know the way life was in, in these days you know like uh, it's, it's like there's some amazing stories you know like just as stories you know they never mind you know that it's it doesn't have to be about necessarily music but there happens to be these incredible you, I mean you can't make this stuff up in a way, kind of stories, you know. Yeah, it's a touring is definitely an adventure, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. It really is. And, you know, it's a lot of fun most of the time, but, you know, you can find yourself in some pretty dicey situations, and uh, I don't know. It's, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's really interesting. You meet a lot of interesting people, and it's a lot of adventures will happen. And not all of them, you know, pleasant, but, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's really, uh, so, it's, so these stories accumulate. And as I get older here, I just said, man, I better start writing these stories down. Um, because, you know, they're, they're, I think they're interesting. You know, it's one thing to study the music of our, you know, the great history of, of this music, you know, uh, from the level of the music, but you know, like if you listen, look at, read the lives of Charlie Parker or, or uh, you know, Coltrane, or so you know, these are fascinating lives, amazing, just their how they lived, you know, and how what they did. Yeah. You know, the, like the good, bad, and the ugly. I mean, it was all, you know a lot of, but you know, and the times, you know, the civil rights movement. Then there was, of course, the Vietnam War, and uh, there's a lot of incredible. You know, a lot of stuff going on in the world. And that was pretty amazing, as there is all, all the time. Right now, we have a lot of stuff going on. But I like to try to remember those things while I still can, because it was definitely a different time. Those those years were different. We didn't have all this technology and Internet and everything. So um, things were, I don't know. It's, Do I find it, it... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, like, do you think that communication... Um, you know, communication was different because you didn't have cell phones and the internet and all that. Absolutely. And like, what what do you think? Um, I don't know. Do, do you think that you could be more in the moment back then, like on tour, because you didn't like now you go somewhere and everyone's always like 
posting pictures of you, like you you know what they're doing every minute practically you know <laughs> right yeah yeah well you know i mean that of course you could argue that that's in the moment too but no to me it wasn't yeah because you were really in at that point you know and also you, you know you, everything that happened to you it happened to you it wasn't like you could you know make it up and put it on facebook or something you know this this was you know, if you had to confront somebody or deal with some issue or deal with something going on, you had to deal with it. You couldn't write write it in your blog or something. You know, you had to really confront it. So it made things a little more, you know, real. Uh-huh. To tell you the truth. Yeah, you, yeah. You know, if, you know, if there was, if it was, you know, could have been, a, you know, not, not pleasant things sometimes. You know, uh, we're dealing with a lot of, you know, dark, dark stuff sometimes. Um, that just happens. That's the way the world is. But see, it's, it was, you know, we call it grit, you know, like New York City in the 70s was nothing like it is now, you know. Yeah. You know, we, you know, and so, you know, it's not, it's one of those things, you know, it's not like I want to, you know, go back to the good old days of rampant crime and, you know, everything's messed up and the city's going bankrupt and, but, but if you, but on the other hand, that was a real amazing time because it was a, it's kind of a freedom. You didn't, you know, you didn't feel like you were, you had to, you know, perform in a way. Like our world now, we, everybody has to be, you know, very, you know, you have to, everything is about how you uh, perform and how you look and how you produce and how you, are you know? Are you a productive member of society and all that? Yeah. I don't know. It was a lot. You could get to know people in a different way in those days, you know. And uh, I, I, you know, it was scary a lot. It was very scary sometimes. But it was also, if you could get through it, you were, you know, you it was you were strong. You know, it yeah. made you strong. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, we need to wrap it up. And um, but I, I thank you for coming on the show again, and you'll have to come on again because I I, uh, I want I want to play that um, music I found of when the you know when the quintet was a quartet right at the beginning because yeah, yeah. I think people will find that interesting. Um, and I can send you the music if you want to, so you can listen to it um, ahead of time. But so um, any any last words before we? We're going to play dance. Um, do you want to say anything about that? You like the way Jim plays on this one. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I like the way everyone plays on it. it yeah. uh, but, you know, when I was thinking about uh, the last time we played, uh, you might have noticed how, how um, you know, Jim does these things like, you know, this kind of kind of almost like a scream. It's not even notes anymore. It's like, yeah, you know, he goes up and <laughs> And then you see, you hear Joe Lovano right after that playing something kind of similar to that. Now, he never played stuff like that before he met Joe, before he met uh, Jim Pepper. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. in other words, they, they were, they influenced each other. And you could really hear that on that last tune yeah. on Abacus, how they were, you know, feeding off each other, but in so different ways. This is what's Paul's genius because he figured out this is what he really wanted. He wanted some wanted two guys who couldn't sound more different and yet you know somehow makes the music so so much more rich so much you know it's not homogenous it's like uh it's all different 
facets of, of something. And uh, and I adapted that approach in my groups afterwards because uh-huh. I always look for people like, uh, you know, I did a record with Greg Osby and Gary Valente. These are two guys that are, they don't even like each other. Uh-huh. <laughs> but when they played, it was so great because they just play in such opposite ways. I mean, well, one's a trombone player and one's a saxophone player, of course. But the, the, the point was, just the way they approached music was so different, yet it made such a beautiful, you know, connection in a way, you know, to, because this idea that everyone has to be on the same page and everything, yeah. see, this is what Paul realized, this is, not, this is not necessarily how it works. You want people who are, like, really opposite, you know, and then and see what that does, and that's what I find that very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a great perspective on it. And uh, okay, so thank you, Eddie, and um, I'll keep you on the line for a minute. And um, here's dance for you listeners. Okay, thank you, Cindy, for everything. Thank you. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> 